Matthew 18, page 823. And once you find that, turn right a few pages and find Ephesians chapter 2. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, page 976. Last week I said if I could give a title to Matthew 18, I would title it The Radical Requirements for Those Committed to Christ. So Matthew talks about Jesus being the king, and then he also talks about what does it mean to live in the kingdom. And then Jesus in chapter 18, 19, and 20 gives several different requirements for those who are living in the kingdom. And in chapter 18, he gives five requirements. The radical requirements for those who are committed to Christ require humility, holiness, loving one another, handling conflict, and then today our topic is on forgiveness. You and I, because of Jesus, are supposed to have a radical commitment to forgiveness. And this is perhaps the hardest of the five. So let's stand together and read what Jesus has to say about this, beginning in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my... How often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to Peter, I do not say say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle account, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported there to their master all that had taken place. And when his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, by my heavenly Father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Because of the challenge of this passage uh, after the benediction, I'll be up here with an elder. For anybody who needs somebody to pray with them, it could be about this topic, maybe something else that's on your heart, but we want to offer that to you. Some of us know the name Corey Ten Boone. She is the author of a book called, titled The Hiding Place. She and her sister Betsy grew up in a Christian home and lived in the Netherlands at the time of World War II, and her family during the Holocaust hid Jews in their home from the Nazis. 
and eventually she and her family were caught and brought into a concentration camp called Ravensbrook. Her father and her her sister Betsy died in the camp, and Corey alone survived. Following the the war, Corey, as a Christian, would give her testimony. She'd travel throughout Europe, and she would talk about Jesus and the incredible forgiveness that he offers anyone. And one day she travels to Germany in 1947, and she's delivering this message of radical forgiveness into one of these churches, and she tells the following story. Forgiveness was the truth that the Germans needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them out into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And then God places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces, the solemn German faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after one of my talks in Germany. People stood up and they all left in silence. Following one church service, I saw him. The former SS soldier who stood guard at the so-called shower room in the processing center at Ravensbrook. It all came rushing back to me, the pathetic piles of dresses and shoes, the embarrassment of walking by him with no clothes. I recall him callously standing by as a young woman cried out for help. Now he was making his way towards me. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there. But since then, I have become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Extending his hand, will you forgive me? What do you do in that situation? During Jesus' lessons on the radical requirements for those who are going to follow him, Peter interrupts. He's talking about conflict resolution, and Peter doesn't wait to the end of Jesus' sentences most of the time. He's got to say what's on his mind. And he just wants to know how many times you're supposed to forgive. And I think in kind of a humble brag way, although I can't be sure, Peter goes like seven times. Like that's, that's going to be, a, he's, he's trying to pick out this big number that Jesus is going to go, wow, Peter, you are so full of grace. Brother, disciples come and listen to Peter of how grace-filled he is. Jesus responds, I do not say to you seven times, comma, And I'm just guessing in that little space of that comma, Peter's like, yep. I did more than what Jesus was required. No, I don't say that, Peter. I say 70 times 7. Uh-oh. I mean, you get the feeling sometimes Peter thinks, I wish I just hadn't even asked. I mean, 
It's getting worse the more I open my mouth. And I want to ask this question. What is the fuel for that kind of forgiveness? I mean, here, there's, there's no way to say, well, you know, if you read it in a different light, it means something different. No, it means exactly what it means. The whole purpose of the story is to show you how exaggerated the forgiveness that you have to extend to somebody who wants forgiveness. It's, it's immeasurable. And what, what could possibly fuel us to have that kind of forgiveness towards others? And then what does it entail? So those are the two questions I want to try to answer. What, what fuels our forgiveness? And then what does it entail? What is it, what's required? What fuels our forgiveness? This is where I want to look briefly at Ephesians chapter 2. Because I think it says it so well for us. If you turn with me, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you, this is Paul talking to these people in Ephesus who've really lived a terrible life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I mean, you had nothing to offer. And you, you, you once walked in this way. You walked according to the world, just whatever the world said. That's how you did it. And you were actually following a different power, Satan. He calls it the prince of the power of the air. And that, that same spirit works in your heart for you to become disobedient. And you lived in the passions of your flesh, verse 3. You always were carrying out the desires of your body, your mind. And because of that, you were children. You were, you were in the way of God's wrath. And here's the great turning point, verse 4. But God. Got to circle that. Got to see how dead we were, how, how much we were captured by the world. But God did something. He, he intersected. This is where, where we're going to hear about the grace of God. But God, he's rich in mercy. You hear that? He's like a king. He has an endless, immeasurable supply of wealth. And he's rich in mercy. And because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead, he made us alive. It's by grace you have been saved. And then finally, verse 7. All this is happening so that, key, key little phrase, so that in the coming ages, as you, as you live now as a redeemed, forgiven person of immeasurable sin, so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? When you see your sin and you understand you were dead, you weren't broken and needed being mended. You were dead. And God, in his mercy, before you did anything, he stepped in. He did something on your behalf. And when you realize that and you come to life in Christ, then as you walk out and you extend forgiveness to other people, what are you doing? You're showing this. That's one of the main reasons that you would forgive someone else is because when I'm forgiving of you, I'm showing you just a tiny little sliver, the tiniest little sliver of God's immeasurable richness. Does that make sense? 
So when people see it, either the person that's offended me or other people who know the offense, when they see it, they go, okay, there's something greater here. There's some kind of fuel this person has that I don't, I don't know yet, I don't yet know about. And it opens up an opportunity to say, oh, God has opened his arms to me. And because of that, then I am able to open my arms to other people. So what fuels our forgiveness? It's God's immeasurable forgiveness and kindness towards us. That's the whole point of the parable, is it not? The servant comes and owes 10,000 talents, and in best calculations, that's $300 billion in our account. And what did he say? I promise I'm going to pay it back. No, you know, you're not going to pay it back. There's no chance of paying it back. It's, it's so big, it's, you can't even imagine how, much, how this guy has wasted all of this talent, and the king just looks at him. I forgive. Your, your forgiveness, my forgiveness, is fueled by constantly pumping in the grace of God into our soul. And that, that fuel line has to be big and wide and open, especially in times that you're going to have to extend forgiveness to other people. So that's, that's the fuel. If, if you're sitting here and you don't have that fuel, then to exercise forgiveness is going to be very difficult. Because you're going to be doing it on some other like synthetic fuel that's just not going to work that well. And you need the real, real fuel of God's grace. It's got to work its way all the way down to your bones. And then when it has, then you have a chance. You have an opportunity to forgive and display God's forgiveness. So what does this forgiveness entail Matthew 18, let's just look at one verse because I think this is the answer to that question. Verse 27. So the servant fell on his knees imploring this king, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, that's number one, three things, the master released him, number two, number three, and forgave the debt. So these three things, pity, release, forgiveness. What does it entail? What, it, what, what is, I've got the fuel down now. What does it really mean on the ground? It re- means these three things. Pity. Such a, such a weak word in the English language. So much stronger, so much more meaty in the Greek language. Plus, it's really fun to say. Splotjizomai. And that, that's just fun to say. Sounds like you're sneezing or something. Splodjizomai. I mean, you could just tell just by that word, it's, it's a lot meatier than pity. And when you say it, what you're saying is like your internal organs. I don't just have pity like I feel sorry for somebody. No, I have my, all of my internal being is moved towards you. It's, it's maybe what we would say, my heart goes out to you. It's the way we would say it. To have pity on someone requires Listen, it requires you to do the internal work of reminding yourself of how much you have in common with the other person. 
When someone's wronged you and they're asking forgiveness, to have pity, it requires this work. This, now, this is hard work. To look at the person and say, I'm not a lot different than you. My heart goes out to you. Why? Because I understand. I needed incredible forgiveness. So when you're asking me for a small amount of talent, oh, I understand. Because I had to lean on Jesus for, uh, 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 for debt that I couldn't possibly repay. Don't you find this challenging about forgiveness? Don't you, don't you identify, maybe I shouldn't say this as the pastor, uh, don't you identify with the unmerciful servant? When somebody wrongs you, what do you want to do? I want to choke them. That's what I want to do. What? And I'm just choking the person. You're like, okay, I'm never having a conference with a pastor. But isn't that like the first, uh, you wrong me. Oh, I'm going to get, you just, just the, the your, all your energy is towards, I'm going to choke this person out in some way. That, that's, that's what's working in my heart. And I have to work at it. I have to say, no, no, I'm so glad Jesus didn't come and choke me. I understand that this person's need. As much as I may be hurt, I, I'm really not different. There was an article written some years ago on bitterness and unforgiveness. If you're unforgiving, you're going to become bitter. And this is what the article said. When you become bitter, you caricature someone. You know that term? See, a street artist, you know, you go downtown to some festival and somebody's got the white piece of paper and sit down and and it's kind of fun but it's a little bit harmful isn't it why because they take some feature and they exaggerate it so if your ears are a little bit too long they make them a little bit longer if you got a double chin they give you that big double chin if you got a big nose i mean whatever they do they blow up some feature so when you look at it you sort of go wow He's got a big nose. He's got long ears. He's got a square head. Whatever that is, that's what we do if we're not forgiving. You look at the person who's lied to you, and when you become bitter, what are they? They're just a liar. That, they don't have any other features. You take the one feature and you explode it into, that's their whole character. That's their whole personality. They can't be anything else but a liar. And then you might have the conversation with somebody and say, well, have you, have you ever lied? Well, yes. But it was complicated. I mean, there was, there was nuance to it. I mean, that's, but you never say, I'm just a liar. No, I mean, you never say that. You never characterize yourself. But that's what's happening. If you don't let go of that, one of the things that happens is, is you blow these things up and this person becomes a, a one-dimensional, distorted person, a cartoon kind of person, and they can't be anything else. But to take pity on someone is to not to caricature. You, you come on their side. Your heart goes out to them. Great quote from a theologian called, named Miroslav Volf. Listen, forgiveness flounders, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy 
from the community of humans. I have a difficult time in forgiving because I, I'd look at my enemy and say, well, he's not human, as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Hear what he's saying? The reason you have difficulty in forgiveness is you push yourself into sainthood and that person into the community of sinners, and that's all they can ever be. You have a distorted view of yourself and the other person. The king has pity. The king requires those who are going to follow Jesus to have pity. Second thing, we have to forgive. See that he forgives them. He, he says, you don't have to pay. The king tells a servant, hey, I'm just going to absorb this $300 billion loss. I'm not going to make you pay. That's what forgiveness means. I, someone's going to pay, just not going to be you. So question, is the offense then simply forgotten? I forgive you, does that mean it's forgotten? Forgive and forget. Is that true? No, that's the answer to that question. By forgiving them, you're not you're 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 saying I'm not holding the get the debt against you, but you're holding the debt. Someone's going to hold the debt, and maybe the way I've explained it before is thinking of it as like a car accident. I get frustrated at you today. I'm just using me as the bad guy here. I'm not if you're listening at home. I'm not usually like this, but I get frustrated at you, and I run into your car in the parking lot. And I cause a $1,000 dent. You come out, Pastor Paul, what are you doing? Oh, I'm so sorry. I just got frustrated. I don't know what got into me. If you understand that, yeah, I don't know what's gotten into me times before. Okay, can you just forgive me? Yeah, yeah, I forgive you, Pastor Paul. And I just drive away. Does that make the dent go away? No, no. You have a $1,000 dent. And guess who's going to pay for it now? You are. The dent, the dent is going to remain and someone's going to hold the debt. And again, don't you, don't you find this challenging? That you have to bear the debt? Where, where would you get fuel to bear a debt that you didn't cause? See, you see what I'm saying? If this pipe isn't open, you're going to have a hard time forgiving other people. Let's be honest. One of the burdens of forgiveness is I don't want to forgive. And here's where we need to pay special attention to the parable. Notice the character of the king. He's the one who's acting like a servant. He's the one who's forgiving the debt. He's going to bear the burden like you think a servant would. And notice the servant, he starts acting like the king. See, if you ever find yourself in this position saying, no, 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 I've got to be king here. I've got to make this person pay. Then you need to check your heart. 
when we come before the Lord in prayer, when we have this $1,000 dent, yet you, you fully acknowledge your pain. You fully acknowledge that, God, I'd, I'd rather act like a king right now than a servant. Then you ask Jesus for help. You remember the help that he's provided you, and he will help you bear that load. So you have to have, your heart has to go out. You have to forgive, meaning you're not going to allow the other person to bear the weight of it. You're going to bear it and then release. You got to let it go or let it die. Corey Tim Boom said this in another place. She likened forgiveness to letting go of a rope attached to a big church bell. Got that picture in your mind? You know, somebody ringing the, the big rope with the church bell. And, of course, it takes, takes energy to get it going. But after it goes, you know, you just kind of pull on it. It just keeps ringing without a lot, of, a lot of effort. When you let go of the rope, the bell keeps ringing, she says, because momentum is still at work. But if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will eventually slow down and stop ringing. It's that way with forgiveness. When you, when you are trying to forgive, when you decide to forgive, the old feelings of unforgiveness may continue like momentum. They may continue to assert themselves, but you affirm in your decision to forgive. And slowly, slowly the bell stops ringing. So forgiveness, release, it's like letting go of a rope. Just practically, how do you let go of that rope? Number one, by not continuing to bring it to mind. Somebody's caused the $1,000 damage to you. And one way you keep it alive is you keep bringing it to mind. You have the conversation over and over again. You're, just, you're giving it life. And I think that's part of the 70 times 7 principle. Jesus knows that, hey, sometimes the forgiveness is going to be, hey, I forgive you. And when you walk away, really it's forgiven. You, don't, you really don't think about it anymore. Those are the smaller dents. But then you have bigger dents that require more time, more energy. And that's, I'm going to wear out my 70 times 7. Because it's coming back to mind every time I see something like that, every time I see that person, whatever, comes back to mind. And I've got to say, hey, I've got to, I've got to kill that. I've got to let go of that. I can't keep bringing this to mind. Number two, I, I'm not taking pleasure in the other person experiencing pain. And you never would say this out loud. But you see something happen to another person that's wronged you, and you go, yeah, they deserve it. Good for them. Teach them a lesson. It's just a little way of making them pay. I love how C.S. Lewis describes it so well, so well. These are the little marks or twists on the inside of your soul, which in the long run will turn you into a hellish creature. You get a little tiny bit of joy from that. And it's like a little mark on your soul. And after a while, all those little marks, they turn you into a, somebody who hellishly would choke somebody. You see it in the unmerciful servant. <clears throat> He's getting twisted. 
Now listen again carefully to Lewis. This does not mean feeling fond of them. This is what I thought was so helpful. Forgiveness doesn't mean feeling fond of them or saying they're nice when they're not. But wishing they're good means hoping that they may, in this world or another, one day be cured. You hear that? You're not lying to yourself and you're not lying to the other person. It doesn't mean you have feelings for them. It doesn't mean you say, hey, they're such a nice person when they're not a nice person. It just means I'm wishing they're good. I'm hoping that somehow they're changed in this world or maybe one day in another. Final practical way similar to the first, is I'm, I'm not going to keep giving it oxygen by bringing it up in a conversation. So this usually would happen more in a family or a close friendship. And you say, hey, I forgive, I really have forgiven. But tension comes on at some future time, and what happens? Hey, remember that last time? So you, you sort of hold it in a little little jar, <laughs> Every time it's useful, you open the jar and you spill it out. Oh, remember that? I was talking to a friend who manages forests. And he says, in a forest fire, Paul, you, forests burn on top and underneath. Because there's a lot of organic material underneath the bed of a forest fire. So you might put out the extern, what you see is the forest fire. But there's a lot of burning happening underneath the surface. The surface. And he says this, these kinds of underground fires can last for months. And they have to be watched for a long time. Because they're underneath, they can jump a trench. And they can spring up and continue to consume a forest. What needs to happen in the area of the forest, it has to be completely flooded. See, this is why this pipe has to be so open. Because your soul, it has to be completely flooded with the grace of God. And maybe some of you here, you have something underneath. It's not obviously burning to me, but you know underneath there's this river. Any moment, I jump out, burn you, burn someone else. So we have to know the grace of God. Two comments and then I'll close here. Forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences. Forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences. If someone is working for me and they, I discover that they're stealing money, I'm going to work on two things at the same time. I'm going to work on forgiving them. And I'm going to work on firing them. See, a lot of times we have some idea that when we forgive, there aren't any consequences. There don't create any boundaries maybe in some way. That's, that's not what we're talking about. So forgiveness and consequences aren't competing concepts. There are consequences. We'll get to this when we talk about David and Bathsheba. He's forgiven. Nathan says, the Lord has forgiven you. But are there consequences? Oh, yes, there are consequences. But it's not David paying back. Because he can't pay back. But there are consequences. So when we think about forgiveness, and this is what's going to happen is people are going to come up to me afterwards and say, well, does that mean I'm supposed to? Maybe none. 
There may be consequences to what's happened. Second thing, should I forgive someone who's unrepentant? What would you say to that? Somebody's done me wrong. They have done me wrong, but they're not coming. and They're not like this person in the parable. They're not coming and asking for forgiveness. And I would say this. I would say, yes, you should extend forgiveness. And I could talk more about this, but I think when Jesus is on the cross, remember what he says? Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. What are they doing? Well, they're putting me to death. But I want you to extend forgiveness. They're not asking for it, but I want you to extend it. And I want us to keep in mind, forgiveness isn't the same thing as reconciliation. Those are two different things. You have to have forgiveness in order to get to reconciliation, but you could extend forgiveness towards someone who's done you wrong, and they're not interested in it. Therefore, you're never going to have any kind of reconciliation. So you should extend forgiveness to the other person, even if they're not interested, for many reasons. But if you don't, what's really the alternative, honestly? You live in some kind of cell. And maybe you're building it because I'm bitter. Or maybe somebody's done you wrong and you're going to hold it against them. And now they're actually keeping you imprisoned. Because I'm, 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 I'm stuck in a prison of my own making because I don't extend it. And when you're extending the forgiveness, even if it's not received, you're kind of letting yourself out and say, I can live now my own life because I've extended that out. And who knows that they might pick that up. Back to Corey Ten Boom. You mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard in there. But since I have become a Christian, I know God has forgiven me the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? She continues her story. I could not have been, could not have been many seconds he stood there holding out his hand. But it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had just finished speaking on the immeasurable forgiveness of God. I knew God's command for those who follow him to forgive those who have injured us. I had worked with victims of Nazi brutality and realized those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. And those who nursed bitterness remained invalids. I knew that forgiveness was not an emotion, but an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one who stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang to my joints. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I said, I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands the former guard, and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. 
I doubt any of us are going to be in a place this difficult. As you see, there's no way to get here without this pipeline into your soul. And maybe you're here and you're saying, Paul, I don't have a $1,000 debt. I got a million dollar debt. Because some of you do. And what do I do if and how do I think about? It's always more complex than a simple sermon answer. But we'd be happy to talk to you, happy to pray for you at the close of the service. Let's pray together. Or this is... Um, Oh, this is a parable that some of us would like to erase from Matthew 18. We would have liked for Peter to be right. That there was a limit, seven. Some of us are making people pay by choking them. Some of us have something that's smoldering underneath. Some of us don't really know we don't really know the pipeline of grace. So would you help help your people, your sons and daughters here, to, to know the grace of God and know how to walk in that grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.